problems, people, cousins, so much going on with Jason at this point, guys. And his one saving grace is he looks forward to checking his storyboard and seeing if Phoenix has checked in to comment on his writing or if maybe she's read some of his comments on her writing. We're going to make a lot of ground today. We're going to cover a lot and try to get at least halfway finished with this book, if not a little bit more, uh, to see where we stand at the end. Thank you so much for tuning in to Anything But Typical, a fiction book by Nora Raleigh Baskin. It is realistic fiction, fiction and Simon & Schuster Books for Young Readers is allowing me to read this to you. Chapter 12. This night, I'm writing a new story to post on storyboards. The whole idea came to me on the car ride from Uncle Bobby's. It is about a dwarf, not a midget, because dwarfs do not like to be called midgets, even though there was a time when dwarf was a bad word and midget was better. But now it's the complete opposite. Titles, names, more words. The same 26 letters strung together that sometimes hurt someone and sometimes don't. My dwarf in my story is named Bidu. He is one of those disproportional dwarfs, so his arms and legs are very short in proportion to his body, and it makes his head look big. But basically, he is pretty comfortable with his height and his looks, and lots of other normal people of normal height like him. But being a dwarf is a handicap. He is not just different, but defective. He has his family who are all normal height. That's the way it happens. He could even have normal-sized kids. If he got a girlfriend and they got married, that ever happened. If Benu in a made-up, I put Benu in a made-up world. So I got to make up all the names and all the different kinds of people who live there. Life is definitely harder for Benu. Not because people stare at him and sometimes laugh when he goes out, which is bad enough, for other real reasons, like he can't reach things other people his age can, like door handles or the top shelf of the fridge where the milk is. There are many doors he can't open by himself, and some things about his genetic condition are painful. His, his back hurts because his spine is compressed and his legs sometimes ache. Sometimes, just being Banu is very hard to be. Names are very important when writing a story. I think a long time when I'm giving a character a name. I have to know everything about them before I know what they will be called. You have to take several things into consideration when you give a character a name. Who they are, where they are from, and what time period your story is set. And sometimes, names can have symbolic meanings. Like in the famous book, To Kill a Mockingbird. I haven't read it yet, but you can search online and learn everything about famous books. I guess you could even pretend you have read a book and pretty much get away with it just by reading one of these websites. Some people, like teachers and librarians and other adults, like to say their name, that names are not important, like sticks and stones, but they are wrong. Every word you choose means something you think it means and more. Like, if a person is different, that's a good thing. But if they have a defect, that is not. Words 
these letters. I post this first installment of my story at 9.13 p.m. I think it's late, but I'm wondering if Phoenix Bird will read it tonight. And I wonder if she will notice. Will she figure it out? I wonder if she will get it. Benu is the Egyptian name for the mythical bird who rose from its own ashes. A bird whose song was so beautiful that everyone who heard it had to stop to listen and, those, and whose tears were known to heal the wounded. Benu is the Egyptian word for phoenix, for phoenix bird. Chapter 13 My dad comes into my room to tell me to turn off my computer and get ready for bed. It's easier to be around my dad because he talks less. That doesn't mean I don't love my mom, but a lot of the time she makes me feel like she wants something from me. It pulls me like a drain, draining water after a bath. That sucking noise it makes at the very end. Not many people wait around long enough to hear that sound, but I do. Anyway, I know my dad wants to talk to me about what happened at Uncle Bobby's. He's waited all evening to talk to me, but I knew it was coming. For a long while, my dad doesn't say anything. He just looks up at our ceiling. Are things okay, Jason? He keeps his eyes away from me. I nod. I know he can see me from the side. Is there anything bothering you that you want to talk about? A couple of years ago, I figured out that my dad's arms around me don't really make the darkness, the anger, the sadness go away. They just postpone it for a while. That doesn't stop me, though, from wondering what my dad can help me with and what he can't, and what will happen when he's not around anymore. Who will take care of me? My dad is sitting at the end of my bed. It's okay to be sad, Jason. It's okay to be afraid. It's even okay to be angry, Jason. I want to believe him. It's not okay to hurt someone else. Now it's hard to breathe. Calm down, Jason, and don't pull your hair. He takes my hands and puts them at my sides. My hands are feeling like flying. My hair is itching, maybe burning. Maybe this is what it feels like to be on fire. Jason, you're not in trouble, and I'm not mad at you. Mad, sad, dad. That is a word family like cat, hat, bat. Sorry, daddy, I'm sorry you are so sad about me. All you have to do is change one letter and the whole word is different. Like people. I wish I could change one letter and make everything better. But I can't, Daddy. After I kicked Seth and he fell and then somebody stepped on a lot of his CDs, Aunt Carol came running up the stairs. My mother was right behind her. Seth was yelling so much, so loud. The crackling of the CD covers the thumping of the footsteps on the stairs, heels clicking on the wooden floor coming closer, harsh snapping of hard plastic. Jason, what did you do? Jason! Aunt Carol started shouting. What happened? My mother said, but she wasn't really asking that. And Jeremy got really mad. He was saying things, fast words, talking about me, his brother, how I needed to help him. 
about Seth, about reaching something in little Bobby's closet, I could hear his fear and his anger. We were allowed to have it, Jeremy was saying. He said it again. It was all too much. Seth was moaning and holding his leg. His mother was screaming for Uncle Bobby to get some ice. For God's sake, Bobby, hurry! Ice! When Uncle Bobby, my mother, and Carol, Seth, and still on the floor, Jeremy, little Bobby, and then my dad were all in the room, I felt the ceiling explode over my head. It was my head. My head exploded. There was no way to stop all the molecules that started penetrating my skin. My hands flew off my body. My body flew into a million little pieces. I could smell the fresh coffee that Aunt Carol and my mother had put up for the dessert as we for dessert as we hurried out the front door. I could smell the pastries she would have put out, and I wanted one. Chapter 14. I tell Aaron Miller I have a girlfriend. Hey, that's great, he says to me. We are in the cafeteria. Loud voices, bright lights, strong food smells, and garbage. Jane used to sit with me every day. Now I have to find someone in my own, on my own. I'm grateful I see Aaron sometimes. I sat down with Aaron and the two other boys he's sitting with. What's her name? And this is when I realize I probably shouldn't have said anything. Because I don't know her name. Not not her real name. But one of the other boys at the table starts talking about something else. He's talking about the game last night. And that's good. Besides, my mother wants me to buy lunch this year. So I have a tray in front of me. And now I have to figure out what everything else is and what I can eat. There are only 18 minutes left of lunch period. I have to concentrate to finish. I barely finish. But I was lucky because today was meatloaf, mashed potatoes and gravy, chilled peaches, dinner rolls, ice cream cups, and I could eat it all. Well, J-Man, guess you were hungry, Aaron is saying to me. He is getting up from the table, scrunching his paper bag into a wrinkly ball, brown ball. I know he will throw it into the trash can from here. He does. So maybe someday we'll get to meet this girl, huh? He rubs the top of my head and he's gone. Meet this girl? That could never happen. I don't even know her name. The rest of the day is without incident. Although it bothers me, because up until that moment it hadn't bothered me at all. And now it does, all the rest of the day. What is Phoenix Bird's name? Then I'll start to imagine what she looks like. And that she must have hair and a face, hands and legs with feet and shoes. Well, I can't really imagine what she looks like, but I have the thought that she must look like something that has a face and hair, maybe long, and girl's shoes, a girl's face, a girl's voice. What are you doing, Jason? And before you know it, I have torn the first page of my math workbook into many, many small pieces that lie on the floor by my desk. When I look down, I see them. It looks like snow, and I know we learned that no two snowflakes are alike. Of the billions and hundreds of billions, no two are exactly the same. The staggering number of possibilities with the hundred within the hundreds of configurations of each water molecule of vapor as it turns into a hexagonal forms nice.
form of ice. And even though it looks flat, it's not. It is an amazingly complex structure and amazingly beautiful thing. So even though teachers make you fold paper and cut out little triangles, spread it out and tape it to the window. Snow is not really flat and it is not that simple. Jason, this is unacceptable behavior. That is my math teacher talking and I have forgotten her name. She looks so much like the nurse at my pediatrician's office. They both have very short red hair and I can't tell them apart. So I don't try. The kids are starting to laugh again, which doesn't bother me, but I know it will make the teacher very nervous. Teachers don't like it when kids are laughing, unless it is because they have made a joke and they think it is funny, and then they get all upset if the kids don't laugh. I'm sorry, Jason, but you are going to have to stay and clean this up. The rest of the class goes across the hall to watch Mrs. Santoro's class's geometry play. It is a good thing for me that I don't want to see a play at all. I don't mind picking up all the little pieces of paper, and now it is quiet in the classroom. Only the math teacher sitting at her desk writing. She thinks she is holding me responsible for my actions. I am on the floor under my desk. The pieces of paper don't look anything like snowflakes anymore. I can see the jagged, frayed edges of white where I tore it and tore it. I start to think of how many times in one day does something like this happen to me and how I'm so not used to not getting what I want. How many times I am on the floor under my desk picking up pieces of paper, metaphorically speaking, that is. Every day, maybe 20 minutes a day, maybe more, So, Phoenix is my girlfriend inside my computer. I just need to remember not to talk about her anymore. So, the rest of the day is without incident. Chapter 15. Jeremy wants to plate with the dividers at dinner tonight, but our mom is taking them away. She says she has to get... He has to get used to eating off a regular plate because not everybody in the world will be able to accommodate him. But again, I know she's really talking about me in code. Jeremy starts to cry right at the table. Boys are not supposed to cry. I learned that about the same time I figured out that my mom and dad couldn't make everything all right. Even when they said, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. It's not. Boys are not supposed to cry, because when they do, things get worse. Then, suddenly, you have two problems. You have whatever it was that made you cry in the first place, and then you also have the problem that you are a boy crying, and someone is bound to let you know this is worse. So now you have two problems. Better not cry, Jeremy, I want to tell him. Jeremy, what's the matter? My mother is saying. At first, people will always act like crying is okay. I want my plate. I want my plate with the little rooms in it. But Jeremy, you can use this plate. It's fine. None of your food is touching. Look, and even if it does, it's fine. And then after that, they try to tell you why you shouldn't be crying. It's fine, Jeremy, my dad says. No, I can't eat. I want my plate. 
His tears are dropping off his face. His voice is clogged with wetness like mucus in his throat. It is like the snowflakes that fall to the ground, each one different from every other one. But no one can see that. All they see is wide and flat, and it all looks the same. And that is the way they liked it. The food is like that for Jeremy. He just doesn't know it yet. Sometimes your food is going to have to touch, I tell my brother. It gets really quiet at the table. What? My mother asked me. What did you say, Jason? I looked down at my plate. The food is far enough apart, but it never bothered me. It was always Jeremy. Jeremy noticed these plates. I don't understand why he shouldn't have one, but I know he can't. And I see that even Jeremy has to learn what I have known all my life. You don't always get what you need. So I say it again, even though I am sure my mother heard me. Sometimes your food is going to have to touch. It's not so bad. You get used to it. There, you see, she says. But I have a feeling my mother has heard something else. Don't cry, my dad tells him. Come on, Jeremy, eat some dinner. It's good. Don't cry, sweetie. Look, Jason lets his food touch, my mother says. Jason is sniffling, but he picks up his fork. Then finally, you figured out it's better not to try to cry in the first place. Chapter 16. One day, a very old and very wise scientist comes to the town where Benu lives with his family. It is not by chance that this famous doctor has arrived. He is looking for Benu because the doctor believes he has found a cure for dwarfism. He has traveled many miles over the treacherous land to find Benu. He believes he has invented an operation that can make Benu look pretty, much like everyone else. Also, the doctor believes that with his cure, he can make sure no one will be born with the same problem ever again. This installment ends just as the doctor delivers his message to Benu and his family. It's a good idea to leave your reader wanting more. It's called a cliffhanger. Like your character is hanging on by his fingertips on the edge of a very steep cliff. I upload my chapter on the storyboard. But the only reader I really care about anymore is Phoenix Bird. Maybe she lives in a different time zone. Two hours later. Maybe she will read it before she goes to school. Or two hours earlier. And maybe she will have already left for school and she'll have to read it. Have, she'll have read it before I got home. How could I find out what her real name is? And before I have to leave for school, I send her a little note. Just to let her know, my story is posted on the website. And, by the way, my real name is Jason. Very tricky, if I must say so myself. Next to art class, physical education class is the worst. Most kids call it PE class. But I don't like those letters together that way. Because it's... Mostly it's because of the noise. The way the noise races around the gym, hits the high ceiling, and where it all gathers together between the metal light shades and gets louder before falling back down again. So you have a girlfriend, Jason. It's a boy from Aaron's table. One of the boys who eat lunch with him sometimes. I ate lunch with him last week. I shouldn't have. 
The boy is laughing, but I know this kind of laugh. And you don't even know her name, the boy is saying, laughing. There are lines on the floor of the gym, blue lines and yellow and white and red. One line is the farthest outside of the others, but never intersecting, not bending, never touching the others. Parallel lines that continue into infinity and never meet. The boy is talking to me, but not talking to me. He is talking loudly, even though no one else is listening to him. His voice bounces off the blue cushion walls. I know what her name is, he says. He does? Does he know her? Does this boy know Phoenixburg? I will not be able to breathe. He is laughing more, louder. You want to know what her name is? If he knows Phoenixburg, she will have told him the truth. He will know if she is really, not really my girlfriend. My hair hurts. My chest is tight. I bet her name is Retardo Girl, the boy says. No, I'm, I'm thinking her name can't be Retardo Girl. Can it? And I bet she rides the little school bus. Then I figure it out. He's just being mean. When a dog gets mean and bites a person, it's the law that they have to put that dog to sleep. This boy is just being mean. He's lying. Doesn't he know? He doesn't really know Phoenix Bird. I have nothing to worry about. For some reason, my head is shaking, but I can breathe. Mr. DiMatteo DiMatteo, comes out and starts throwing basketballs onto the floor. They all bounce up and down at different times, like drummers who can't hear each other, and then roll until someone picks one up, shoots it, and shoots it to the hoop. And misses. Lexicon is the word that came to me this morning, even before I got out of bed. Wow, readers, that was about five chapters, a lot of reading, and I don't like that they're using some... uh, were name calling. I don't like that at all, but I bet you somebody's going to get in trouble for that. Stay tuned. We, we covered a lot of areas, so stay tuned for the next installment of Anything But Typical. Bye, readers.